It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. In any given year, you're going to potentially have a team that is maybe not as strong. So someone gets that game. It's, it's random. I think you have to keep rotating it around. If this is the way we're going to be playing football moving forward, it's not always the same teams meeting up with each other in any given year, similar to what's happened in scheduling now. Don. Back in early May, I recorded an interview with Cliffy D. Pine of the Alouette's Flight Deck. At that time, we posted the back half of that interview, and on this episode, we're going to put in the front half of the episode where we're talking about the origins of the Flight Deck podcast and also the players that they've been able to interview, some of whom are truly Alouettes legends and CFL legends. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. All right, welcome back, everyone, and we're here with Cliffy D of the Alouette's Flight Deck, and I love the name. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, the Flight Deck, we when we were thinking about getting this podcast up and running, we were trying to think, okay, what would be a good name that's kind of clever, not too predictable or anything like that? And they're like, okay, we just want this to be a launching point for for Alouette's fans to come and you know talk about the Alouettes and you know share our thoughts, opinions, what have you. Like, okay, launching pad. I'm like, okay, that doesn't work but then again we wanted something not bird-like because okay everybody when you think about alouettes you think about birds so it makes sense but then like again the alouettes were actually named after the royal canadian air squadron back in 1946 and i thought okay well how can we tie into that 425 squadron i'm like okay well planes and we started listening through like all sorts of aviation stuff and like why not flight deck like that's a launching point of sorts like yeah flight that, that makes total sense. So then it just became, boom, Alouette's flight deck. So we went with that, and the rest, as they say, is history. Well, it's been a great history. You guys have been on, what, five, six years now? We're, we're currently in our fifth season of doing the flight deck. And uh, before the whole world went to hell in a handbasket, we were just so excited at the prospect of what can we do for season five? Because this year there is so much potential. After the great start that the Alouettes had last season and the success that they had, going into this new season and we thought, okay, we're going to really ramp things up. We're going to make things really amazing. We've got so much, so many great ideas we have. Just, it's just a matter of being able to execute them. And then everything had started happening as far as uh, this uh, pandemic goes. And I mean, I won't say it's derailed our plans entirely, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, we can't do this. So now we have to sort of pivot and think about some other ideas and we've been able to get that started. So, in a way, like we've, we've, we've made the promise to everybody that one way or another, we're going to still produce. We're still going to produce a show. We may not be able to have a season to talk about, but we still want to be able to produce some stuff. So that's that's been our plan so far. And that, so far, we're underway. Things are going pretty well with it. And uh, we just want to continue. So you talk about continuing with the show, but let's get back to the origins. How did you guys get together? Where did the idea for the podcast come from? 
Well, it came from the simple idea that at the time, quite a few teams had fan podcasts that, uh, you know, fans would get together, whether it was one guy, two guys, three guys, two guys and a girl, what have you. Fans were getting together and talking about their perspective teams, but there was nothing for the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, okay, well, we can't, we can't have this. We, we got to have someone out there talking about the Alouettes. Uh, Tim Capper, my co-host, he's been a, a podcast maven for 20 plus years doing podcasts for the Arena Football League. And he's also a huge Alouettes fan. And I said to him, like, dude, what do you say? Like, what do you think about the idea of doing a, an Alouettes-based podcast? Are you interested in that? He's like, yes, I am. I would really love to do that. So, okay, then it just became a matter of, okay, how, what kind of a podcast do we want to do? Where do we want to go with it? Because he's got the podcasting experience. Like, as far as putting shows together and everything like that, he does a lot of the legwork and he knows podcasts up, down, inside, and out. Me, I... I know how to talk. I know how to uh, speak with people. I know how to work the room when it comes to speaking with uh, executives or players or things like that. So I knew how to get people talking and get them interested in coming and joining us on the podcast. So two of us together, as far as I'm concerned, we we figured out the dynamic to make the podcast work. And that's pretty much how it came about was, okay, you do this, this, and this. I take care of this, this, and that. And Somehow, some way, it, it became a podcast, and as I said, five seasons later, we're we're still here and with no signs of quitting. Well, that's just awesome. I, I enjoy listening to your podcast. What always impresses me is your access to players. Vernon Adams Jr., I, last week it was Anthony Calvillo. You've had Ben Cahoon on your 100th. It's pretty sweet to have access to not only current, but living legends. Without question. And I, I have to give a major, major thanks to the Montreal Alouettes media department. They've been extremely helpful with us as far as talking with the players. As I said, I've developed a personal relationship with a lot of the players as well. And they hear the, they listen to the podcast too. They, they check us out. And a lot of times it becomes a matter of, hey, when are you going to have me on the podcast? I'm like, let's make it happen. <laughs> let's, let's, like, let's figure it out. So again, once again, props to the media department with the Alouettes because they've been extremely helpful as far as setting things up and just having the players get in touch with us and make the arrangements to meet up at certain times. And it, it's been a great relationship. And I, I, once again, I can't thank them enough for their accommodations in anything, regardless of the interview, no matter who we want us to talk to, I think I can count on one hand, the number of times I've been told, no, I'm sorry, we can't let you speak with this person at this time. Try us again in a little while. And we'll get this figured out. It's been great. It's been a fantastic relationship as far as I'm concerned. And uh, hopefully one that will continue as, as long as we keep doing the podcast. Well, it's one thing I've always heard about the Canadian Football League is that the access to the players, the coaches, etc. is always there. Again, living proof that, hey, if you do good work and you come to them and say, I have this need, guess what? No, you're absolutely right. And it's a simple matter of like, we can, we can go back. We, we show that we've done the work. We do the research. Like, we're not going to sit there and sing a guy's praises for two hours that's not the point of the podcast like we want to get to know the players and we want the fans to get to know the players as well and that to us like the great way to do that is to come on the podcast and talk with us about your career talk to us about the game that you just played talk to us about uh, any number of things when we have coaches on we talk to them about uh, some of their strategies some of the things that got them to the point of being a coach like when we had kahari jones on for the uh, end of season podcast last year 
you know, we, we talked about a whole bunch of things, especially about the work that was done and what led up to him becoming the coach for the Alouettes and pretty much what was his secret, so to speak, of how he was able to turn things around in Montreal last season. There's so much there that, as, as far as I'm concerned, like just being able to have that, I guess, I don't, I don't want to say relationship necessarily, but just sort of that camaraderie with your guests, it, it makes for a much better podcast. And I, I want to believe that the fans that tune in and listen to it really find themselves interested and fascinated as far as just how their favorite coaches or their favorite players came to be, especially here in Montreal for the Alouettes. And I'm, I'm very thankful that we have the opportunity to be able to present that to fans. Well, you do a great job. Talk about getting to know the players. Like I'll just reach back to the show you did with Calvillo. I didn't know, for instance, that his very first trial camp was sponsored by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Can you imagine the history that may have been had Las Vegas not said, hey, you're ours, you can't go there? And uh, it's funny because the one thing that people think about when they think of Anthony Calvillo is, yeah, you used to play for the Hamilton Tardcats. They let you go. And I'm sure a lot of Hamilton fans are kicking themselves. Like we, we had the greatest quarterback of all time playing for us. And I mean, again, the, we, we detailed this to why it didn't necessarily work out in Hamilton, but just the idea that you had Anthony Calvillo and you let him go. But yeah, I mean, also too, like Las Vegas. Okay, fine. You can sort of say, well, the, the team folded. So of course that's why it didn't work out there. But I mean, sometimes it's just the way things work out. And I'm sure Winnipeg, every once in a while must be wondering, we invited Anthony Calfio to a tryout and we didn't sign him. What? Are you kidding me? But again, it's just the way things work out. Sometimes it's crazy thing about the Canadian football league is you just never know where people end up and who becomes a superstar and who becomes just a, another also rad. It's, it's part of the, what makes this league so fascinating and fun is just to find out how certain players get to certain points. And just when you look back, it's like, wow. I mean, hindsight's always 2020. It's easy to say, Oh, we had Anthony Calvio in our, a mini camp and didn't do anything with him. We had him in our lineup and we didn't do anything. It's just the way football works sometimes. Well, and you have to get to a station and be ready to accept. And I think that was the big thing that Calvillo talked about was by the time he got to Montreal, he had sort of changed his attitude just a little bit and said, I've got to be more receptive to coaching and, and especially listening to the veteran quarterback in front of me. Oh, absolutely. And you, you saw it too. Like the, the first thing he did, like he basically parked his butt on the bench for t- the first two years in Montreal he did, and uh, he learned from one of the best, Tracy Ham, who was now, at that point, was in his twilight of his career. So Tracy, I thought, was pretty giving of himself to do that with a, a guy that, at that point, was starting to become a journeyman. Yeah, and again, by the time the Calvillo was, had taken over as a starting quarterback, he was ready to go. Like, it wasn't like throwing him to the wolves kind of thing. He knew the, the offense. He knew what was expected out of him, and he just stepped in, and it was, for the most part, pretty seamless like it was just like not missing a step at all which again as far as trying to prepare your quarterback of the future for the future you can ask for anything better than what Anthony got and when he stepped in like there was no oh my god we got this guy in the guy who couldn't hack it in Hamilton no we got okay this guy knows what he's doing and sure enough he played pretty pretty fantastic football and then you see the career that he's had over the years and it all started right there like the foundation was built pretty much from the moment he stepped on the field in Montreal everything was being set up for him to become the guy. It was just a matter of how bad do you want it and what are you willing to do for it? And that's what it was. He, he did the work. Yeah. He held that clipboard for two years, but when it was, when it was his time, when his number was called, he was ready to go and he never looked back. Well, Vernon Adams Jr. Is another story. Uh, You think back to 
his journey through the CFL. In fact, he was in Saskatchewan. Our Ryder fans looking at him and going, holy crap, we could have had that guy if we just stuck with him. But things maybe just didn't work out between him and Jones. Same thing in Hamilton. He was in Hamilton for a cup of coffee and same idea. He just he couldn't get on the field because the other quarterbacks in front of him were either too talented or too hyped up, as they say, with uh, when it comes to a certain uh, Mr. Manziel. But, uh, and again, that's no bad reflection on Vernon Adams. It's just a matter of just sometimes you just getting those reps can be next to impossible. And as luck would have it, he managed to be, make himself available back to Montreal. Same, same idea. He had the opportunity when the opportunity came, he was given the chance to go and he made, he took full advantage of it. And it's funny because his first go around in Montreal, I thought, okay, he's raw. He's got the, he's got the tools, but he's raw. He needs time. He needs a chance to develop properly. Is he going to get that chance? And sure enough, the Alouettes signed Darian Durant, uh, kind of push Adams to the background, and you know they, they do absolutely nothing with him. And then, yeah, end up trading him to Saskatchewan. And he's had to bounce around. I think uh, Vernon, too, and he'll be the first to tell you, like he pretty much had to eat humble pie. He, he was not the guy anymore. He was never given the chance to really show what he can do until he got back to Montreal the second time around. And when he did, he said, I'm, I'm not screwing this up. I'm not... Taking, I'm not taking this opportunity for granted. I am going. To, you give me the ball, and I am going to run with it. And sure enough, that that first game in 2019, when Antonio Pipkin got hurt, because Pipkin, he everybody was hyping this guy as the, the next great quarterback. And I said, like, you've got Vernon Adams right there. The guy works his butt off in training camp. How is he not? And he's got CFL experience, like real. He's won actual games in the CFL, whereas Antonio Pipkin's won two games versus Adams, who's won several games. I, I don't understand this logic, but okay, fine. At the end of the day, you didn't hear Adams complain at all regarding the situation. He said, okay, just when my number is called, I'm going to be ready. And sure enough, Pipkin gets hurt in that first game. Adams comes in, everything snaps into place for him. Well, and I think if they brought him in just a little bit sooner, who knows? This could be a totally different story altogether, but it's so just the way things are. But sure enough, Vernon Adams proved that he is the man here in Montreal. And at the end of the year, he got rewarded. At the end of the year, there is no shadow of a doubt as to who's the quarterback here in Montreal, and it is 100% Vernon Adams Jr. All that momentum that was built out of 2019, and we're in this holding pattern, and it's just got to be excruciating. It, it really is. There's, in fact, there is, it's so funny. Like You think about all the stuff that happened last year, and that, that in and of itself would be a great story going into 2020. But now you've got, like during the offseason, the Montreal Alouettes, finally got their ownership situation settled. They brought in a brand new general manager and a new president to run the team. Uh, they had a pretty decent offseason as far as free agency goes. Uh, the draft, I think there was a very solid draft, all things considered, uh, considering there was no combines and there was, it really hampered a lot of the way that they do the traditional drafts methods as far as finding the, that, that next talent who's going to play for your team. Things had to be done a little bit differently. That's just the way it is. But I think by and large, the Alouettes did a decent job being able to adapt to the situation that was put in front of them and still managed to draft some pretty decent players. So between the free agents, the draftees, the new front office, so to speak, and new ownership, like there was a lot to be excited about. I mean, like anyone who's associated with the football team and any football team really in the Canadian football league, it's just such an unfortunate circumstance. It's understandable. I mean, this is, no one could have predicted that this was going to have such an impact on sports in general, let alone the CFL. But this is the situation we find ourselves in. And it's just, it's disappointing more than anything else is that 
we want to carry on that momentum, that, that good feeling that came out of Montreal last year, like just be able to keep that going and just see what Vernon Adams and the rest of the team could do going into the 2020 season. Like that to me was one of the things among many that I was looking forward to when, uh, when the season was to get underway, but now it's either on pause or may end up being completely written off altogether. And that, that would just be unfortunate more than anything else. Thanks for doing this, Cliff. Where can people find you? Uh, well, if you want to check me out on Twitter, I'm at Cliffy D, C-L-I-F-F-Y-D. Uh, if you want to check out my thoughts on Yellowettes, always uh, in uh, word form, you can do so at my blog over at www.alsternative.com. And definitely tune into the Yellowettes flight deck. Uh, we do try to, as I said, we, we try to keep things uh, as relevant as possible. Uh, you can go to alouettesflightdeck.ca, or you can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Music. And also be sure to give my co-host, Tim, a follow as well on Twitter. He's at Repact, R-E-P-P-A-C-T. Second down. Do you think you're a CFL expert? We're about to find out. It's trivia time. And we're back with trivia. The game show that's sweeping the nation. Well, at least our podcast. I hope more than just the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, other people will want to play along here. They see if they can do better than I've been doing. uh, Although last week I got, if I'm recalling right, 2.5 out of 4. The first time I have been above 500 done. That is true, and we should think about making a home game for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. Mind you, you can play along as we go, but... You know, we could... Of course, if you want to cheat, you just pause after I answer the question, run to the Google machine, and come up with the answer, but who knows? We could do it with a Kahoot, Don. I'll show you how to make a Kahoot, and then uh, anyone who wants to pull it up and, and test their friends with CFL Trivia can use it. Oh, there's a thought. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll learn something new from you. You bet. Here we go. Question one. All right. Here's some classic old English for you. Oh. Thrice it has happened. A team with a losing record has won the Grey Cup. Name the teams in the years, and I'll give you multiple choice because this is tough. Okay. A, 1988 Winnipeg, 1999 Hamilton, 2004 Toronto. B, 2000 BC, 2001 Calgary, 2016 Ottawa. C, 1973 Ottawa, 1971 Calgary, 1968 Ottawa, don't know why I reversed those, or D, 1957 Winnipeg, 1960 Ottawa, 1974 Montreal. Oh my goodness, trying to remember all those, so I know it's not the first one, it was not A, can you repeat B for me please? B? Yeah. 2000 BC, 2001 Calgary, 2016 Ottawa. I don't believe it's that. Can you go to C? 1973 Ottawa, 1971 Calgary, 1968 Ottawa. That one's possible. And it hit D. 1957 Winnipeg, 1960 Ottawa, 1974 Montreal. See, those ones are a bit beyond me, I think. I, I'm, I'm going to have to try C. I think it's either C or D, but I'm going with C. All right, and the correct answer is B. Oh, jeepers. 
2000 BC over Montreal, 2001 Calgary over Winnipeg, and 2016 Ottawa over Calgary. So, do you, what were the records, Don? Tell me what the records were. Eight and tens. All eight and ten teams? You betcha. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? I did not know that. that that's an awesome it's one. It's amazing that it was consecutive in the in that... Uh, good, que- good question. 2000-2001 era. Well, that's kind of what threw me off. I'm thinking, okay, that's not going to happen. Right? <laughs> Honestly, that, that, was, that was my thought. Yeah, well, I agree with you. It would be, you would think, ah, oh, no way. No, that, that, that's why I just, yeah, like I just thought, okay, I mean, if it's possible there are a few of them, but two in a row, no. That's okay. And I was wrong. Question two. Which team was the first to continuously wear the same helmet decal for more than three straight seasons? A, Edmonton, B, Saskatchewan, C, Montreal, or D, Ottawa. Consecutively, the same decal for three straight First seasons. time for anybody to do it. I'm going to go with... Okay, so the teams were Edmonton, BC, Ottawa, and Montreal. Edmonton, Saskatchewan, Montreal, Ottawa. Saskatchewan, Montreal... Ottawa. I'm going to go with Ottawa. This must be a question you did, Don, because you're an expert on decals. <laughs> I hope I am. <laughs> you are. The correct answer, C, Montreal. Mm. They introduced their red wing on their helmets in 1960 and wore it through 1969. Wow. Okay, I would have been thinking maybe it was the, um, the sail type one. Hmm. If it was them, but but I did not know that. Look at that, and and that's kind of surprising. I would have thought going back in the modern era that some team would hold the same decal for three straight years before that. In the fifties, they typically just went with stripes on the helmet and maybe numbers on the side. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Montreal came up with the red wing that would you know sort of adorned them we saw it in their retro classics in 2010 i believe and most of the other teams really didn't stick with a decal until the mid-60s that that's surprising and and the fact that they wouldn't hold it three years in a row i don't think at the time maybe there was that much importance tied Mm -hmm. to it it was more the club colors and the team name and then the identifying decal that was on the helmet sort of grew out of that well, that's what I was thinking. And it just took some time for teams to really figure out what they wanted. Ottawa would have been a good guess. They came up with the, the white R on the black helmet about 1964 and wore it through. Uh, Saskatchewan came up with their iconic S in, in, in the wheat, and they put that on the helmet in 66. A lot of confusion because in 65 there was the Saskatchewan had an anniversary year in the province, and the riders wore a commemorative decal for it. And then, of course, the other team that I mentioned, Edmonton, uh, they started, I think, about 65, putting on their first double E. That's really cool. You know, I, Edmonton probably would have been my second guess, to be honest. Uh, I, was, I was wrong again. I could be 0-4 this week. Ooh. I'm not mailing it in yet, though. All right. Just put your toe in the water and make sure it's safe to go in one more time. Okay. I think you'll get this one. I hope so. Question three, true or false? The Ford Motor Company tried to enforce trademark 
over the Mustang logo with the Calgary Stampeders. I'm guessing that is true. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's true, so I'm, I'm going with true. You're correct. Ford settled with the Stampeders, and the team was allowed to keep the decal, but they had to have a stylized version of the horse everywhere else. So you see it on the stadium, on the center field, in their literature and stuff like that. So that's why you see a bit of a variance there. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Classic Mustangs. Calgary Stampeders could have been Calgary Mustangs if they <laughs> hadn't changed. That doesn't make sense. Uh, what was it the other day that you told me? It was the... Bronx or the Rustlers. Bronx, Bronx, yeah. Bronx. That was interesting. Yeah, well, they were the Bronx for a little while. Yep. All right. And question four as we come to the final turn. Which duo was nicknamed Thunder and Lightning? And I'll give you four choices. Was it A, Sean Millington and Robert Drummond? B, Ed Buchanan and George Reed. C, Brad Sellers and Charles Roberts. Or D, Willie Burden and James Sykes. No, I, I've got all those teams. I think I've got them all. I'm going to go with the Winnipeg duo of Sellers and uh, Roberts. So that would be C? Yep. You are correct. Woo! I made it back to 500 again this week, Bill. Never, ever give up on a situation. I think if anything in sports, what coach has ever said, well, we better quit now? <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> I mean, uh, last week I was mailing in because I actually got the first two right. <laughs> that, that had not happened until then. <laughs> this time you needed them, you came through in the clutch, and you got them. Well, thank you so much. That uh, You know, every week I learn from this. I really appreciate uh, doing this, and I hope our listeners are learning as well. I hope so as well. I'm, I'm having a ball as we go through this. I'm learning a little bit about the league too. There are some questions that are coming in from other people. Some people are writing me and saying, okay, have you thought about this and maybe go down that pursuit? So it's been really nice to get some feedback and uh, giving me some ideas as to how to proceed from here. That's fantastic. So they can always uh, catch us on Twitter at our handle, Don, which is? Third Down Gamble. You got her. Third down. Joining us now is Snack Bites Pete, or do you want to be known as something else? Nah, I won't do that. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Heath. Thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, we're going to start talking about the hub. And that has, seems to be all the rage everywhere you go. Uh, it doesn't matter what professional league you look at, whether it's soccer, hockey, baseball, basketball, everybody's got their concept of what a hub is supposed to be. And the CFL is obviously no different. Different ideas have come forward, the latest being the giant bubble. Yeah, I think the gigantic bubble, it's a good idea on, on one hand, but looking at doing full training camps with 90 players per team, that's over 800 players in the bubble. And that is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Some discussion about uh, proper testing takes at least 45 minutes. Do you have enough hours in a day to test everyone daily if it's required? That's going to be the toughest part. And do teams look at, or the league look at, reducing the number of people that they invite to camp? Coaching staff, you have to have support staff, you have to have this, just a lot of other people involved. So you could climb over a thousand in a heartbeat 
just to get training camp underway. Yeah, then that's a big number to contend with. Like I said, the idea of a gigantic bubble works well if it's done safely, if it's done correctly, and everyone is clean and healthy. The problem with it, with having a thousand people in one bubble is one or two positive tests. How quickly does that go through the entire thousand people? How quickly can they isolate, get people out of there and test really a thousand people over again to see what the contamination level is? Other North American leagues that have tried to get off the ground have had some problems already. NHL, I know there were several members of the Tampa Bay Lightning that have tested positive for COVID. Uh, Major League Baseball, the Phillies were, they had eight people on the Phillies organization. They've shut down all their spring training. Even the PGA Tour, which is a, a social distance dream as far as professional sports go, they had somebody test positive at their tournament this week and had to drop out. They didn't have to cancel but it certainly raises concerns even on, on sports that they think they've got a plan and are executing safely. Clearly, there's, there's a lot of COVID positive out there right now, and it's putting it all in jeopardy. You can't countenance every circumstance. There's just no way possible. Health Canada is your guide. But even with that, there's always a circumstance that will throw you a curve. And Austin Matthews, Toronto Maple Leafs, for one one of the top stars in the NHL. And just imagine if a whole bunch of other top stars become COVID infected. Yeah, and I think that kind of circles back to that fear with the, uh, with the gigantic bubble plan. I know the NBA is looking at that as well with their Orlando Disney World project. High risk there as well. Possible adopt-a-city or adopt-a-team program with the CFL that they were tossing around as well. Is that a safer way to go? It's, it's a tough one. As much as I'd love to see the CFL get going with something, gigantic bubble scares me because it could all come crashing down so quickly. The other part of the equation that I think has to be assessed is the whole idea of what is this going to cost? Because you have to put these people up. Now, whether it's in university dorms that may be available to you, or if it's in some other sort of billeting or hotel situation if need be, the expenditure is so different than a normal regular season where the players are taking care of their own accommodations. Now the, probably the league would have to do it in this case. That's right. And you're also looking at support staff, not just from a team perspective, but if they are in a dorm or a hotel, you've got, can you isolate hotel staff that they're not going home to their families every night and increasing that risk of bringing some coronavirus back into the bubble? It, as you say, it takes a single source and suddenly you have a problem on your hands if you don't jump on it immediately. I know in a perfect world, in a, in a regular full-length season, getting 90 players to camp and starting those cuts a couple of days in, great, no problem. If we're looking at trying to get everybody into the one bubble and, and effectively manage those teams, is it possible to start with even a 60-man roster? I know cap implications and, and trying to save money on maybe cutting some veterans and getting some young guys in is one of the benefits of having 90 in camp. But if we're serious about getting a season off the ground, do we start with a smaller number? Think of the numbers of people. If you can mitigate right from the start, as you're indicating, you go from 90 to 60, you're now in the 600 range, you know, the 540 plus support and all that sort of stuff. So suddenly by a factor of about 40%, you've knocked down the number of people that have to be there in the first place. The other thing that you could think about too is, if you, say, start with a 60-person roster, what if 
the cuts don't have to come as quickly. These people get to stay a little bit longer and maybe cuts come in week two where you go from 60 to 52 or something like that. So maybe only eight people get cut because you're in a short season. Injuries are going to be that much more exacerbated if they come. There's been talk about expanding practice rosters to a little bit bigger size. And if you're, you're able to keep everybody around for a little bit longer and really make sure that you've developed a strong practice roster and not just guys that you were keeping around to maybe have a look at down the line, that you've got guys that can step in and replace at the drop of a hat. But there's also the matter of, of keeping, even as the, the season develops, keeping that practice roster healthy. Do you just keep them with the regular team? Do you isolate them separately so that if there is a, a positive case on either regular roster or practice roster, you've got some separation there. Uh, lots of lots of things to, to figure out logistically. And the other thing too, what if you've got the practice roster players, do you separate a coach out that's just going to be their responsibility and maybe through a, a Skype meeting or a Zoom meeting or something like that, that they then report back and do they necessarily have to be within that bubble at that moment? Could self-isolate outside of that bubble as well. You could have a secondary bubble wherever that may be where the practice players are. Yeah, I, I think that's the way you've got to do it with the practice roster. I think the, the potential of one roster causing an outbreak with the other is too high to be able to integrate them all together. So you're going to run really separate practices with the practice roster. I think that's a great idea having one dedicated coach to the practice roster team. Uh, everything else is done via video. We've got great technology now, so it's no big deal for the head coach to be able to watch and special teams coach and whoever to be able to watch practice video of that roster and really get a good sense of what's going on and who's who's worth having a look at and who's going to continue to float around on that practice roster waiting for the big injury. If you've got only eight games, do veterans immediately become more important because clearly their experience in the league is going to put you in a better stead. And just given the shortness of the season, are you going to get into a situation where you're just going to have to rely on them even more? Oh, I think so. I think that's a big point. And I think that's where, uh, as far as new talent, where the Canadian college kids are going to come into play as well. They're at least familiar with the three down play and, and rules, getting a raw rookie out of a U.S. college coming in and trying to get up to speed on a really a shortened, well, even a, a regular two-week camp and then into an eight-game season. <laughs> you and I have had lots of discussions about rules of the game and especially special teams plays and, and things like that and knowing what's legal, what's not. Somebody coming out of a college system in the U.S. isn't going to be able to pick that up and mistakes are going to be made and it could be costly, especially... Two mistakes that cost you points in a eight-game season is catastrophic. So a veteran-laden lineup such as the Hamilton Tiger Cats, one would almost think would have a leg up immediately. Not the fact that they were in the Grey Cup anyway, but just the fact that they've got a lot of people who've played the game and know what to do. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be a real tough season on rookies, especially bringing in some of that talent from the U.S. Anybody can be fast and anybody can catch a football, but adapting especially for somebody like a defensive back coming up and trying to adapt to the wider field you know receivers in motion all those sorts of things that are going to be a completely new look for them so veterans are going to be important salary cap wise though how do you how do you manage that you you know as, as we know turnover is a big factor on cfl rosters every year and 
the main reason of that is financial. So can you afford to keep everybody? Was your plan to cut a couple of key guys maybe in camp when you get a look at some of these younger guys and save a few dollars there? Now, what's your risk factor in doing that versus cap implications of keeping them around? Especially given that the CFLPA and the CFL are sort of finally now back into the boardroom discussing what needs to take place, but they are probably far apart on that whole notion of what is the cap going to be in 2020 if there's an eight-game schedule? Do you prorate it based on eight of 18? It's a very difficult question. The CFL, of course, they don't want to lose money by playing games, so they have to figure out with the CFLPA what sort of threshold that you can accept a salary level so that you're not sinking the ship by playing. Yeah. Did you actually get confirmation that both sides have agreed that they are talking to each other now? Yes, I've finally seen it. Uh, I know Pat and I had a huge debate about it last week. Uh, Pat is definitely a very big person on transparency. And I'm less about knowing every in and out of a discussion. I'm more about the whole flavor of it. Like When you walk out into the room and sit behind a microphone, what is the message that you're giving out? Is it one of unity and strength? Is it one of controversy? There's all these sort of things that I look for. And if the CFLPA and the CFL come out and don't say we've made progress, then you begin to wonder if there's a season anyway, because if these two can't come together there's really nothing else that matters. Yeah. And I think we're getting to that crunch time where both sides need to sit down and they need to figure this out soon. If we're going to have a season at all, I'm happy to hear there is some talk going both ways now. Let's, let's see what happens. But I think, uh, like I said, salary cap has to be on the table. Do we look at expanding that a little bit just because of, especially if we go to a smaller roster that we're inviting to camp, how do we, how do we manage that? I think keeping veterans around, like we said, is, is, probably the way to go but it's costly so you've got to give some allowance there i don't think we can go crazy and and no cap or increase it by a drastic amount but enough that teams can be competitive that can bring back the guys they want to bring back and uh, and put a good product on the field but if you want to raise the cap even if it's for a one-year covid situation where's your revenue stream that's going to offset that because television is only going to be so much and you've already got that contract set up. What other revenue sources does the CFL have to come their way? The The federal government may be looking at helping out in this context. I don't know yet. We They're still in negotiation with the feds. The feds have said, we've got programs available. Why don't you just use them? But of course, how does that apply to an American player? Where do you leave them in this whole discussion? Back in the States, depending on the state, I think really impacts as to what kind of compensations you can get for not being able to work. Yeah, that's that's a challenge for sure. And you're right, there's no revenue stream from people coming in and, and sitting in the stands, obviously, or even if there is, it's going to be very few. We've seen some leagues going to allowing about 5,000 fans in, I think in, it might be Bundesliga or somewhere like that, that they're, they're limiting and getting some gate revenue. Certainly the CFL being a gate-driven league, can't survive on 5,000 fans coming into any any given game. If you're gate-driven and that is cut off, where are you going to pick up that other money then? What kind of sponsorship can you find that's going to offset the fact that you don't have 5,000 or even fewer people to watch the game? I really hope that the federal government does step up. Um, obviously, 
we're all on this podcast. We are all huge supporters of the CFL, understand the history and the tradition and don't want to see it go away. <laughs> Love it or hate it, the federal government is dishing out money left and right to lots of different things. What the CFL is asking for is really a drop in the bucket compared to a lot of other things that they're currently propping up. Um, I just hope there's enough passion and enough nostalgia for the league that uh, that people can understand where this money needs to go and the importance of it as far as a, a true Canadian professional league. We've heard enough from Randy Ambrosi about 3.0 and a new business model, and maybe that's part of what convinces the federal government to say, oh, we can do this and they'll be fine, but they just need us right now. Fingers crossed. I mean, that's all, all we can hope for. The league itself, yes, it's had its ups and downs, but the product is good. The support is good. You know, I, I hope it comes back strong and I think it will. We just need to get that little bit of uh, support from the government to make sure it's sustainable right now. I don't know how many fans come back to the stadiums when we're allowed to and, uh, and what kind of revenue that the league can continue to generate. It's going to be a hard hit, but I think the CFL will be back in 2021, even if there is no 2020. My hope is, and you've sort of touched upon it too, is that you've got to look at this business model and make it viable from here on out. You can't just... Yeah, and, and you get into the situation of um, three community-owned teams and, and six privately-owned teams. They're all answering to somebody different. And, and The CFL is kind of like nine kingdoms as opposed to one league. And I think they have to start thinking as one entity. Cohesiveness of the league is, is paramount in keeping it going. I, I hope everybody recognizes that as a league, as, as owners and communities that own teams, protect the product, come through it, and build something, maybe not exactly the same, but, but build something strong from it. Well, then the initiative is theirs now, and there's been a lot of talk with other entities as well, the federal government even saying maybe you have to re-envision Canada after this. And, and, and it's not a bad idea to take stock and to, hey, maybe that there's time now to reflect. And uh, one comment that I like that came from Randy Ambrosi was this whole idea, sometimes you spend too much time in the business, not enough time looking at the business. And maybe this is your opportunity. An eight-game schedule would be fantastic. Any kind of football would be fantastic to me. I mean, I'm here we are into week three and nothing. Yeah, exactly. I think we're, we're all starting to miss it. And it's one of those situations where as sports fans, we're missing everything. So we're, we're willing to pretty much latch onto anything. Now I haven't gone to picking a favorite team of Aussie rules football <laughs> uh, or, or Bundesliga as of yet. It may be coming if we don't get something else off the ground here soon. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Worth watching.